Well, thanks for joining me for Romans chapter 14. And I want to begin by saying that reading through this chapter this week, it struck me that, one, it's about majoring in the majors, not majoring in the minors or even minoring in the minors. And two, that when it comes to the way of Jesus, there are majors and minors. And three, it is eternally important that we readily know the difference. So here's what I want to do in this particular podcast. First, I want to read to you in what I would call sort of a spiritual logical order, the majors, like the main important things in this chapter. Then I'm going to reread them with a few Eugene thoughts on each. And boy, I wish we were together because then I would love to hear from you what you're hearing in all of that. But then having wrestled with those quote majors, we can do what Paul himself does here. We can move swiftly through the rest of this chapter, i.e. the minor. Sound good? Okay. Well, here are, in my personal opinion, the majors in this chapter. Listen. Verse 9. Christ lived and died that he might be the Lord in both life and death. So, verse 8b, in life or death, we are in the hands of God. And furthermore, verse 12, it is to God alone that we have to answer for our actions. And then never forget, this is verse 17, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of whether you get what you like to eat and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Then gloriously, verse 8a, at every turn, life links us to God. And when we die, we come face to face with him. And verse 10, we shall all be judged one day, not by each other's standards or even our own, but by the standard, that singular standard of Christ, meaning his actual living life. And good news with that, verse 4b, God is well able to transform men into servants who are satisfactory. And then finally, verse 7, the truth is that we neither live nor die as self-contained units. So friends, what does all that mean? And, And why did I put it in that order? Well, I do want to listen again, pay attention here, because I want to add in a few extra thoughts just to kind of tie it all together. So here we go again from the beginning. Christ lived and died that he might be the Lord in both life and death. Remember, Jesus has already perfected life and ended the fearfulness of death. So in life or death, we are in the hands of God. We belong to the one who already did it all to make life and death totally new experiences in himself. And furthermore, it is to God alone that we have to answer for our actions, meaning belonging to him, we're now learning to live for him. And never forget, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of whether you get what you like to eat and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, It's foolish to think of what we don't have when what we now have are his righteousness, his peace and joy, and his own Holy Spirit. Then gloriously, at every turn, life links us to God. And when we die, we come face to face with him. Friends, 
We may live our daily life uh, directly, thoughtfully, right there in his presence, which means that death is going to be nothing more to us than more of the same, albeit lots and lots more of that same. And we shall all be judged one day, not by each other's standards or even our own, but by the standard of Christ. But you see, since he's in the business of abiding in us, as we abide in him, we are already in the process of rising to his standard. And then good news, God is well able to transform men into servants who are satisfactory. In fact, he delights to make us like himself. And then finally, the truth is that we neither live nor die as self-contained units. Friends, it is our joy that we get to do this together. And we wouldn't want to harm this fellowship, would we? I would say never. So right now, wherever you're sitting or taking a walk, I mean, what are you hearing about those majors? How would you describe our state of being being in Jesus? Like, what is it like, both individually and together, as we live individually and together as the body of Christ in this world? What are we meant to be like? Which of those statements, those verses, really stuck out to you? I sure wonder. Well, now having heard, again, what I would describe as this chapter's majors, we're going to start to read the whole thing And I want us to see what Paul is really trying to get at. So we'll be starting back at the beginning, chapter 14 in the Phillips translation. Welcome a man whose faith is weak, but not with the idea of arguing over his scruples. One man believes that he may eat anything. Another man, without this strong conviction, is a vegetarian. The meat eater should not despise the vegetarian, nor should the vegetarian condemn the meat eater. They should reflect that God has accepted them both. After all, who are you to criticize the servant of somebody else, especially when that somebody else is God? It is to his own master that he gives or fails to give satisfactory service. And don't doubt that satisfaction, for God is well able to transform men into servants who are satisfactory. Now, that opening section may well have to do with the subject of eating meat sacrificed to idols, which certainly has a spiritual discernment angle to be considered, or possibly not. I mean, maybe Paul is just talking about something as mundane as the preferred diets of the early church. Some were eating meat, some vegetables. Perhaps some were having a glass of wine with dinner, others not. Paul's point is that when we're together trying to follow Jesus of Nazareth, when, like he says to the Corinthian body, he wants us eating spiritual meat, it's pretty silly to trip each other up, harm the progress of the body and the gospel by bickering over what's for dinner. We have, I'll call it bigger spiritual fish to fry or steak, or vegetables. Friends, following Jesus is not about what you eat or don't eat. Let's keep reading. Again, 
One man thinks some days of more importance than others. Another man considers them all alike. Let everyone be definite in his own convictions. If a man specially observes uh, one particular day, he does so to God. The man who eats, eats to God, for he thanks God for the food. The man who fasts also does it to God, for he thanks God for the benefits of fasting. The truth is that we neither live nor die as self-contained units. At every turn, life links us to God, and when we die, we come face to face with Him. In life or death, we are in the hands of God. Christ lived and died that He might be the Lord in both life and death. Why then criticize your brother's actions? Why try to make him look small? We shall all be judged one day, not by each other's standards or even our own, but by the standard of Christ. It is written, As I live, saith the Lord, to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. It is to God alone that we have to answer for our actions. Now, friends, there is no question that the Sabbath is important, that uh, fasts and spiritual devotions and seasonal observances can be rich, that even liturgy and tradition can unite our hearts to the Lord. But also, the Sabbath can become an idol. Ask the scribes and Pharisees of old. Uh, Fasts, personal devotions, religious observances can often end up supplanting their stated end goal. And I think we all know how our liturgy and tradition, disconnected from the living life of Jesus, can end up being the absolute worst. So, these external forms of faith can be helpful and harmful. Paul's point Everything must be to God. Did you catch that phrase in there? And remember, Christ lived and died that he might be the Lord in both life and death. A living Lord that we can actively, intimately follow. When we make our everyday goal to encounter him in the richest, fullest possible way, then we can let him lead in the manners that he chooses to lead. Is he calling you to a heightened sense of Sabbath? Is he offering a day or week of fasting? Is he telling you that this is a particularly holy season? Well, great! Because in life and death, we are following a living Lord, a living man. Uh, We are not following a cleverly contrived tale about a man who used to live. That is the essence of every existing religious system. No, You and I are following Jesus. Not Christendom or a Christian worldview. Again, we are following Jesus, who, just to remind you, is alive. Let's keep reading. Let us, therefore, stop turning critical eyes on one another. If we must be critical, Let us be critical of our own conduct and see that we do nothing to make a brother stumble or fall. Which, by the way, is a great place to insert a reminder about what I'll call uh, the hierarchy of judgment and non-judgment. 
This is what we've been called and not called to. As verse 13 right here says, we are first to be paying attention and making critical changes to our own life. Then next, if we've done business properly in our own heart, we may begin the work of calling the church to account. And then, and please pay attention to what I'm about to say, this is of the highest possible importance. It is then that we're reminded not to judge anyone else at all. That is actually one of the strongest commandments of Jesus. So again, we may criticize ourselves. We may work to correct the church. And that's it. That's the whole hierarchy of judgments within the body. And we would be well served to remember it. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. I am convinced And I say this as in the presence of Christ himself, that nothing is intrinsically unholy. Which is an absolutely stunning statement coming from a former Pharisee like Paul. And and it proves that the way of Jesus is not intrinsic to our former selves. Friends, the way of Jesus is extrinsic. It is not part of the former nature of someone. It comes from and operates from another. Do you understand how completely untethered was the early church? I mean, how they cast off their lines and let the Holy Spirit lead the way? Well, that last verse tells you. Let's keep reading. But nonetheless, it is unholy to the man who thinks it is. If your habit of unrestricted diet seriously upsets your brother... You are no longer living in love towards him. And surely you wouldn't let food mean ruin to a man for whom Christ died. You mustn't let something that is all right for you look like an evil practice to somebody else. Because remember, the way of Jesus is more than just moving past yourself. It is even more than thinking about someone else first. The way of Jesus is following Jesus himself getting your decisions and discernments from him and then living, yes, for yourself and for others as he personally directs. All right, Paul keeps going. After all, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of whether you get what you like to eat and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you put these things first in serving Christ, you will please God and are not likely to offend men. So, let us concentrate on the things which make for harmony and on the growth of one another's character. Surely, we shouldn't wish to undo God's work for the sake of a plate of meat. And you know, the way Paul focuses here on the kingdom and also really the spirit of the kingdom brought some other words to mind for me this week. In one of his essays, entitled The Lily in the Field and the Bird of the Air, Soren Kierkegaard wrestles with the idea of seeking first the kingdom by writing this. Listen. But what does this mean? What am I to do? Or what is the effort that can be said to seek, to aspire to God's kingdom? Shall I see about getting a position commensurate with my talents and abilities in order to be effective in it? No, you shall first seek God's kingdom. Shall I give all my possessions to the poor? No, 
You shall first seek God's kingdom. Shall I then go out and proclaim this doctrine to the world? No, you shall first seek God's kingdom. But then, in a certain sense, it is nothing I shall do? Yes, quite true. In a certain sense, it is nothing. In the deepest sense, you shall make yourself nothing, become nothing before God, learn to be silent. In this silence is the beginning, which is to seek first God's kingdom. Friends, first it is to seek God's kingdom, a kingdom embodied by its king, a king and a kingdom that are righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is what we are seeking first. Then and only then do we get to descend to what we called before the minors. And I'll say it to you a little bit boldly here. Everything is a minor when compared with Jesus. All right, let's finish out the rest of this chapter. I freely admit that all food is in itself harmless, but it can be harmful to the man who eats it with a guilty conscience. We should be willing to be both vegetarians and teetotalers if by doing otherwise we should impede a brother's progress in the faith. Your personal convictions are a matter of faith between yourself and God, and you are happy if you have no qualms about what you allow yourself to eat. Yet if a man eats meat with an uneasy conscience about it, you may be sure he is wrong to do so. For his action does not spring from his faith And when we act apart from our faith, we sin. But friends, I'm going to end out the chapter by saying this. But when we act in faith, we are already living in Him. And our actions spring from Him. And we do right. And our consciences then become free and easy. We eat and drink and live and breathe without any internal qualms and are happy Because again, our whole life is lived between us and him. Then we're free to live our faith in the direction of blessing others, encouraging their faith in him. And it doesn't matter to us what we eat or drink or even don't eat and don't drink. Following Jesus is following Jesus. No other system, voice, worldview, outlook, And we are looking only to him each and every day for our every decision. In fact, I'll finish by ending where I began. Jesus is the major. And you and I, we are only ever looking to major in he himself. How about we go do that today? Let's go major in the only major who is himself major. Thanks for listening.